Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. We're in our series entitled Gospel Truths. We're in the second part of our series called Justification. Everyone say Justification. Last week, we talked about regeneration. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about justification. Next week, Pastor Joe is going to talk to you about sanctification. Then I'm going to finish up the series on glorification as we prepare our heart for Easter. You know, the gospel is like this. It's kind of like an onion, and this onion is multi-layered. This, just take this for what it is today, but you can peel back the skin, and you start to peel back layers, and there are layers after layers after layers. And that's what the gospel is like. The gospel of salvation, the grace of God, the truth that God has come to save sinners of which I am chief. It's multidimensional. And the dimension that we're going to be looking at today is this aspect or this concept or this biblical or theological word called justification. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn this morning to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 23 through 28. And then we're going to turn over to Romans chapter 5 and look at, read verses 1 and 2 and verse number 5. If you could stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 3, we're going to begin with verse number three, uh, 23. You can read it off the screen. Many of you read it on your, Bible, uh, on your phone as well. But Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse number 3. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone say all. all. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Verse number 26. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And now turn over to, to Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. And the Bible says, therefore, since we have been justified, everyone say justified. Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access. Everyone say access. By faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now I want you to skip down to verse number five. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hey, this morning, uh, my prayer point, and we're going to pray as a congregation, is for our Easter service that's coming up in three weeks. City Church, this Easter will be 18 years old. Come on, give God a great big hand this morning. 18 years we celebrate bringing God's love to the city one person at a time. And I'm asking you to help me to do something. I'm asking you to help me to have the largest Easter celebration that we've ever had. And what that's going to require is that you're going to have to invite someone. And so we have made these cards available. We have Easter, uh, Easter, an Easter egg hunt for the children, Saturday and Sunday. Our services start Friday with Good Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday. Saturday we have two services. Sunday we have three services like we normally do. And I just want to encourage you. You have friends. You have coworkers. You have people in your sphere of, of influence that they need. They need Jesus. Or maybe they've had a relationship with God in the past and they're just not going to church anywhere. This is a great church family to, to invite them to so that they can be part of your church. 
And so I would encourage you to take one of these cards. I believe you actually got one on your seat when you came in today, but if you could take one of these cards and invite someone this week. But what we're going to do is I'm going to challenge you right now to begin to think of someone you can invite. And we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to open their heart to receive the message of hope this Easter. Father, thank you today for your grace that's so amazing. Lord, uh, today we come to you and we're asking, Lord, that, that by your kindness and by your goodness, Lord, as we partner with you and the work of your spirit by sharing the good news, God, that you will lead us to the peoples whose hearts are already open. God, I pray right now for a watering of our friends and family members, those who are far from you, who need this message of grace. Father, I pray that you will touch them today. And as we hand out cards and invite friends to the Easter service, I pray, Lord, this will be the greatest day of celebration, Lord, that we've ever experienced as a church as people come to saving faith in you. We love you, Jesus. Now give every ear and ear to hear today and give me a mouth to speak. I ask this now, Jesus, in your mighty and powerful name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. When I'm justified, everyone said, when I'm justified by Christ, it is just as if I've never sinned. Come on, I want you to say that with me. When I'm justified by Christ, it is just as as if I've never sinned. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this work that God does in our life. This amazing truth of the gospel of justification. Martin Luther said this, who I believe had a great, God, had a great grasp. As a matter of fact, we are here today as a result of his understanding of justification by faith. He said, this article, this article of justification is the head and the cornerstone of the church, which, he lo which alone begets, nourishes, and builds, preserves, and protects the church. And without it, the church of God cannot subsist one hour. Justification is arguably the most important doctrine, the most important theological concept for us to hang our hearts and our minds and our spirits around because everything else hinges on our understanding of the work of God through Christ and this, this imputation, this receiving the gift of God of justification. The importance, the importance of this truth cannot be over-exaggerated. The glory of the gospel is that God has declared Christians to be rightly related to him in spite of our sins. But our greatest mistake, our greatest mistake is to try to smuggle, to try to come alongside our own character, our own goodness, and to help God out. It's easy to fall into this trap. It's easy to fall into the trap of believing that our justification is based upon our sin or based upon our feelings or our emotions or what we think we did or didn't do right this week. See, hear me today. The justification, the be, being made right with God is something that only God can do. It's not based on my feelings. It's not based on my emotion. It's not based upon how big of a sin or I didn't commit this week. The justification of God through Christ by faith is a result of the work that only God can do in the human heart. It's so easy to fall into this trap. As a child, I grew up in a church where I got saved every week. I, I, my thought, my goal, my goal was if I went to church on Sunday, I'd be okay on Monday. But I had to get back to church on Wednesday because I wasn't sure between Monday and Wednesday if I could live good enough for God. And I got to church on Wednesday and I got saved again. And then on Thursday and Friday, man, by Friday, I didn't know. Saturday, there was no way. If Jesus came in the rapture, I was going to miss heaven. And then Sunday, I got saved again. 
And I got saved a lot as a kid. I got saved a lot because I didn't understand the work of justification. See, the work of justification is this. It's just as if I've never sinned. See, when Christ sees me, when Christ looks at me, when I put my faith and hope in him, he has done the work. He has completed the work. I want to give you a few things because we've got to understand this concept of this understanding in a deeper way. I want us to give you a, a few things that justification is not. First of all, justification is not a reward for anything good we've done. It's not because you're good today. It's not because you're trying to be good. That's not how you're made right with God. It's not something in which we cooperate with God. You see, there's justification and there's sanctification. Justification is the free gift that God gives to us the moment, the moment that our hearts receive by faith his free gift of salvation. Sanctification is the work or the process that God works in relationship with us. Sanctification is the outward growth of an inward thing that happened in our life. We, we, we're being sanctified. We're being made more like Christ as we practice Christian, Christian disciplines, as we say no to our flesh, as we do the things that honor and glorify God. We become more like him. Sanctification and justification are, are instant. Justification is instantaneous. Sanctification is a progress. It's a progression of growth in our faith and understanding of God. It's not accomplished apart from the satisfaction of God's justice. See, there is a holy God. He's a holy God. In the book of Revelation, you see this illustration of the holiness of God where, where the Bible says that the angels, the angels of heaven and the 12 elders that surround the throne are bowing before this God, this God of holiness, this God who is light, this God who is love, this God who is free from defilement, from sin. He is completely perfect. And the Bible says that they cry out, holy Holy, other words, otherness, beyond human description. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. God's holiness demanded that there was a price paid for the sin that came into the world. And then our justification is not based upon degrees. It's not subject to degrees. We're not a little bit saved one day and then not saved or, or more saved the next day justification. You can't be any more saved. The moment you come to faith in Christ, you can't be any more saved than you already are. You are saved. You're born again. Pastor Glenn talked about regeneration. You must be born again. The moment you are born again, you're born again. You can't be any more born again. You can only be born again one time. You, only can, you, you can't go back into your mother's womb, Jesus said, but you must be born again. And so this understanding that our faith, we are justified by faith in Christ, it's a work that God does in our life, and it's not based upon decree. So what does this word mean? Uh, now, in our human understanding, we, we have kind of this concept or idea of justify or justification by what we do or how we mess up. You know, you're late to work one day, and, and you justify your being late because there were 14 stoplights that you hit in a row. It wasn't that you didn't plan to get up early enough so you could leave a few minutes early in case you knew that you might hit those 14 stoplights on the way to work, but you justify your mistake. We have a tendency to want to justify our faults. We want to justify our failures. We want to make right in the eyes of other people that what we did really wasn't that bad. If you're in the academic world, you're writing a paper, you know that your margins have to be justified. They have to be made right. It's a word of reconciliation. It's an accounting term. It's to be made right. Something adds up. 
But biblically and theologically, this word simply means this. This word means that it's a legal act of God transmitting the righteousness of Christ to the believer at conversion. See, Jesus was the sinless son of God. He was the sinless, perfect son of God. He was the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. God's righteousness demanded there would be a sacrifice. And so God transmitting the righteousness, the purity, and the perfection of Jesus to the believer at Christ, at conversion. It's why when you get born again, God now can look down on you and accept you into relationship with him. You were made right with God because he became your sin so that you could become his righteousness or be in right standing with him. You were made right with God because Christ took your penalty. Christ took your punishment on the cross of Calvary. He did it. Christ did it. He took all of it upon him on Calvary's tree so that you could stand right before a holy God. So why is it important? Why is it important for you and I to understand this? What's the the necessity of our justification today? The first thing that we must see is that all of us have failed. Our justification is significant and important because all of us have have failed to obey God perfectly. In Romans chapter 5, verse, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse number 23, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Every person in this room. There's no one righteous. No one won. No one's done it perfectly. My wife, Laura, she's come pretty close. But beside Laura, no one else in the room. No, we've all sinned. We were born into sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, explains this concept to us of how sin entered into the world. When Adam sinned, the Bible said, sent it into the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone. Everyone say everyone. Everyone sinned. We've all sinned. And because we have sinned, we need to be justified. We need to be made right with God. I want you to see how one man's sin, this is an extreme example, but I want you to see how one man's sin impacts another person. In 19... 42, there was a war that broke out. It actually had begun in the 1930s, but we're going to use 1940s as kind of a beginning date. And in Europe, in Western Europe, Hitler, this, this megalomaniac, this tyrant, this dictator of Germany, this fascist Nazi, wanted to take over the Europe, wanted to take over the whole world. And he started with the nations that were right, right around him. And he began to demolish and bring destruction and wreak havoc all over Western Europe. But in the east, there was a man by the name of Hiroshito. Hiroshito was the emperor of Japan. And as the emperor of Japan, the people and he believed that he was the supreme God. He was God. I mean, people worshipped him. You can go back and read the history for yourself. But people treated this man and everything he did and said as being completely, he could be completely perfect. He could do no wrong. Hiroshito came from a long line of samurais. And this man here believed that it was his responsibility to take the samurais and the Japanese people and have dominion over the world. And so Hiroshito engaged in war. He first started conflict in China, and then he attacked the Philippines. And in 1941, on December 7th, he dropped a bomb on Pearl Harbor. Not just one bomb, but he had airplanes, kamikazes as they were called. They slammed into our boats, and thousands of United States military people were killed, and the war was on. It was at that point in 1941, the United States engaged in war against Japan. And it was a brutal war. It was a horrific war. Hundreds of thousands of people died. Hundreds of thousands of people died in the Philippines and in China. United States soldiers, Japanese people. 
The war began to intensify and grow. And sometime in 1945, we began to get very aggressive on our destruction on Japan. And we started firebombing Tokyo. I mean, dropping these gasoline bombs where people would just be incinerated. Literally, bombs would drop from the sky full of gasoline and catch people on fire. City blocks would be wiped out. But the Japanese, this, this Hiroshito, this Hiroshito didn't believe that he could go down. He didn't believe that he could lose because he was God. And he, began to, he continued to charge the people on. They, he began to encourage the soldiers to fight. And they continued to fight to the death. And this, on August 6, 1945, our president at the time was Harry Truman. He made the call. He made the call. For the last five years, our, our, our scientists and the brilliant men and women of our country were developing a special bomb, a bomb that the world had never seen before. It was the atomic bomb. And in 19, 1945, on August 6, the United States dropped the most powerful bomb, the most powerful weapon that the world had ever seen on a town by the name of Hiroshima. Hiroshima, in one moment, was incinerated. Thousands of people, tens of thousands of people were incinerated. You would think that something like this, so horrific, so graphic, that would wipe out hundreds of thousands of people would cause him to surrender, but he refused to surrender. And on August 9th, three days later, we dropped another one on Nagasaki. It didn't quite hit his target, but it still killed tens of thousands of people and did mass destruction like the world had never seen. This man finally, finally he surrendered. Finally he acquiesced and he raised the white flag. Finally he admitted that he couldn't win. See, that man's sin right there caused hundreds of thousands of people to lose their lives. I, I, the fact is sin comes into the world and you, are, you experience the consequence of other people's sin. And the fact is Adam sinned, but because Adam sinned, every person in this room has sinned. And see, our inability today, the reason that God's, that God's holiness, the reason that God wants to impute justification to you and I today is because we, it is impossible for us to live a perfectly religious life. In Romans chapter 5, in the New Living Translation, it says it like this. The 10, I put the 613 commandments of the Old Testament were given so that we all could see the extent of our failure to obey God's law. But the more we see our sinfulness, the more we see God's abounding grace forgiving us. The greater the sin, the greater the darkness, the greater the power of the light. I've been following Christ now for over 30 years, and i got to tell you, this is one thing I know, that I am a great sinner, but he is a great Savior. That his grace is so marvelous, so wonderful, so, so beyond my human description. The older that I get, the longer that I serve the Lord, I'm more aware of my sin. I'm more aware of my shortcomings and my failures and my temperaments and my attitudes. I'm more aware of my need for the grace of God. It is impossible for you to be religious enough to be justified, to be made right with God. It doesn't work that way. You see, you must simply receive by faith and believe that the work that Christ did on Calvary's tree was sufficient for you. It's by grace, the grace of God. It is impossible for us to live a perfectly religious life. The third thing you must see is that God's righteousness or God's holiness demands that our sin be paid for. In Exodus chapter 30, the Bible says, when you take a census of the Israelites to count them, this is the Lord speaking to Moses, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for their life. Sin demanded a ransom. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were ashamed. They were ashamed. They never knew that they were naked. 
They never knew that they were distant from God. But the moment they sinned, the moment they rebelled against God's command, the moment they did that, they felt ashamed. That's what sin does. When you fall short, when you mess up, when you, when you fail, when you fall on your face, you feel that shame, that distance from God. That's what they felt. And God made a covering for them. It was the shedding of blood. It was the ransom that God paid so that Adam and Eve could be covered and then come back into relationship with him. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. First Peter chapter 1 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver for which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. God chose to send his son Jesus to pay the price, to pay the penalty, to take your punishment. Then finally, to demonstrate God's true nature. To demonstrate God's true nature. The necessity of my justification. Why did God do this? It's because God loves me. God loves me. I'm God's favorite. You're God's favorite. God loves you. Romans chapter 5, Paul the apostle expresses it like this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. When we were messed up, when we were living for ourselves, when it was all about us, when we were far from God, God said, I love you. I love you. I love you. The, The voice of Christ that calls from Calvary today. When Christ allowed the crown of thorns to be placed upon his head and his back to be torn over with the cat of nine tails. And when he was hung upon the cross with nails going into the palms of his hand and to his feet. When Christ was upon Calvary and he declared, it is finished. It was done. At that moment, the greatest expression of God's love was demonstrated to the world. Christ, who knew no sin, became our sin. And as that blood ran down Calvary's tree, you could hear the voice scream out from the blood, I love you, I love you, I do this for you. I take your pain, I take your punishment, I take your penalty, I take your failure, I take your brokenness, I take your addiction, I take all of it upon me. I knew no sin, but I became your sin so that you could be in right standing with God. Hear me today, this is so important. You must understand today, he did it for you. Ultimately, all this theology, all this doctrine, the gospel truths wrap up in this great thing, this one great reality. God loves you, and he loves the world. Amen. Someone said amen. Amen. And so how does this happen? How does this happen? How does this imputation, as theologians would say it, How does this great exchange take part? Romans chapter 3, I would encourage you to read Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I would encourage you this week to make a little study if you really want to get deep. We're just, I I spent two weeks trying to unpeel this. The hardest thing that I had to do was to try to figure out what to say and what not to say. Because there was a lot I can't say about justification. But how does this happen? 
Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul talks about, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been known, made known which the law and the prophets testify. The law of the prophets, they testify. They wanted to see it. And then in verse 24, he says these words. He says, and all are justified freely by his grace. Our justification to be declared not guilty, to be free from the penalty of sin, was simply by the grace of God. Look at that second word there, all. Everyone say all. All are justified freely. The heart of God desires that all men be saved. God, freely. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to plead for it. God freely gives it. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's the free gift. He lays it out for you. And all you must simply do is believe to receive. God lays out this gift. He gives it freely to all men. Now here's the problem. This is where theologians have split for the last 500 years. This has been the conflict of the church. See, God gives it to all men, but not all men receive. Not all men believe. The fact is, not everyone is going to go to heaven. Not everyone, no, no matter how they think, no matter how religious, what kind of practices they, they think that they're doing that are going to try to find favor with God, that's not the, that doesn't get them into heaven. The only thing that gets them into heaven is to have a personal relationship with God, is to be made just, is to be made right, is to be declared not guilty but God himself through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way. God freely gives it. Titus chapter 2 says, for the grace, everyone say grace. That's where grace is so rich, it's so deep, it's so powerful. In the Greek, it's the charis, it's the gift. We get the word charisma, the gift. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all. Everyone say all. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. Whosoever believes in him, whosoever, all, the heart of God, the love of God has been demonstrated on the cross for the whole world. It's there for their taking. It's there for their taking. The gospel, the truth of the gospel is for all men. God's not willing that anyone should perish. You see, by God's grace, when we enter into this relationship of justification, God does this. He, he stamps this. Paid in full. Come on, paid in full. He paid the price. The heart of God to be declared not guilty. Our justification is by faith alone. Martin Luther had that revelation. It's how the Protestant church came about. He was trying to be good. He was trying to be religious. He was a good religious man. He did all kinds. As a matter of fact, he was so religious on his way to Rome, he crawled up the stairs to the, to, to the Sistine Chapel. He crawled up to, the chair, up to the stairs. He was bloody in his knees, trying to find God, trying to do enough good. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The just shall live by faith. And in a moment of revelation, in one moment of revelation, he received it. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. In one moment of time, I was far from God. But God began to draw me back to himself. And in one moment of time, I said, God, I believe. In the moment that I believed, revelation 
the revelation of his forgiveness, the revelation of his grace, the revelation of his love, the revelation of experiencing the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus transforming. In one moment I was in the kingdom of darkness, but in the next moment I was in the kingdom of love. In the one moment you were in a place of religiosity and religion, and the next moment he transfers you into a relationship with his dear son. Someone said amen today. See, our justification is by faith alone. Look at Romans chapter 3. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. By faith, we believe, we trust. Faith is a confidence and assurance. It's a confidence and assurance that God is the one who saves us. Not our works, not our righteousness, not our trying. It's by faith alone. In Romans chapter 4, Paul talks about men of faith, men who were justified. And he uses the example of Abraham. And the Bible says that God made a promise to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, and Genesis chapter 15, and Genesis 17 and 19, God made a promise to Abraham. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. He said, God's going to bless me. Come on, say, God's going to bless me. God came to Abram. God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Abraham was 80 years of age. God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. He's like, that's impossible. How can that happen? I'm already an old man. My wife's already an old lady. I mean, how is that going to happen? But the Bible says that Abraham believed. Abraham believed, and because he believed, it was counted to him as righteousness. Not because, not because he committed the act. Not because he had sex with his wife and produced a child. But because he believed at the age of 100, at the age of 100, the promise was given at 20, but it wasn't fulfilled at the age of 80, but it wasn't fulfilled till he was 100 years of age. 20 years later, he believed. He believed. When God told Abraham, I want you to go and take your son, your firstborn son, the one that I promised you, and I want you to offer it as a, as a sacrifice, the Bible says that Abraham believed. He believed that God could make a way. God could save his son. Abraham was justified not because he committed the act of obedience. Abraham was justified because he believed that the God, the God who told him that he would bless him, the God who would multiply, was able to save. Was able to save. And that's who and I are saved today. It's not the act that saves us. It's our faith in the God, the God of heaven who forgives, who cleanses, and makes us new that saves us. Someone said amen. amen. Our justification is free from human effort. Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith from observing the law. And see, there was a penalty that needed to be paid. The law showed us that it was impossible for us to be religious. And if we could not keep, there was not a person on planet earth that could keep all 613 laws. Impossible. There were some people that tried real hard. They tried real, real hard. Even to this day. 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus, the one who paid for the sins of mankind, there are still people in the world, millions of people, who are still trying to earn their right standing with God. There are still people trying to follow the law to earn their right standing with God. It can't, be hap it can't happen. It can't take place. It must simply be by faith, and human, faith alone, and not in my human effort. Billy Graham tells a story that uh, one of his wealthy uh, donors had bought a Rolls Royce. And he lived in England, and he decided to, to take this Rolls Royce and drive around Europe. And as he was driving around Europe, his car broke down. 
broke down, and, and so he, they had a 1-800 number in there, and so he called back to Rolls-Royce, and, and they sent a man. They sent a man. They, they, they put this guy on the Le Channel, went over, got a car. The man drove to where he was at there in France, and he fixed the car. He's thinking the whole time, man, this is going to cost me a lot of money. I mean, this is going to be a very expensive fix. This guy's like 400 miles away from home. And so the guy fixes the car, drives off, goes back home. The man gets back. He, he comes back to London, and, and, and there he's expecting a bill from Rolls-Royce. After a couple of weeks, he got no bill. Three weeks, four weeks, five, six weeks, two months later, he finally decides, you know, I'm going to call Rolls-Royce, and maybe they just forgot. He's a pretty good guy, right? He's a pretty integrous guy. Maybe they forgot to send me a bill. So he calls him up. The lady on the end of the line puts his name in the computer, checks it out. And he says, sir, we have no record that any man ever came to fix your car. You're not in our system. He goes, I mean, I don't owe anything. He says, sir, you don't owe anything. You never did anything. We have no record that anything ever happened. There's no record of your vehicle being broken down. Hear me today. When you're justified by Christ, there is no record of God. There's no record in God's court of you ever doing anything wrong. It is just as if you never sinned. Oh, see, that's how God sees you today. When he looks down from heaven, he sees you as forgiven. He's not counting you. If he counted your sins against you, who could stand? There's no one in this room that could stand. You see, we're free from human effort. So what does this mean to me today? What does this mean to me today? Romans chapter 5, I want to give you just a couple things real quick here. First of all, we are made at peace with God. Look at verse number one of Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified, we've been forgiven, we've been made right with God through faith, we have peace, that peace of God that passes all our human understanding. The peace, we've been made right with him. We're his friend. Without Christ, life chaotic, painful, hard, challenging, trying to do it on our own. The moment we come into relationship with him, he brings us into right relationship. We're no longer struggling, kicking. You remember when Paul the apostle, the Bible said he was persecuting the church, and he was on the road to Damascus, struggling, fighting. He thought he was fighting for a God. He was fighting against God. And the Bible says that a, blight, a light came and blinded him, and he fell to the ground. And the Lord said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Why are you kicking so hard? Why are you trying so hard? Why, Paul? Why? Why? Why are you trying so hard today? It's not trying. I hear people, oh, I'm trying. I'm trying to be good. No, no, no. It's not that I'm trying to be good. I simply put my trust in the one who is good. I put my trust, my hope, my faith, my confidence. He is the one who justifies me. You see, we've been made at peace with God. We're in relationship with him now. He is our Father. And then look at verse number two. Through whom we have gained access. Access. Everyone say access. By faith into this grace. You have divine access to God today. The Bible, the writer of Hebrews says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need. You know why we can come boldly? Because Christ, the justifying work, when he took the penalty, when he took your punishment, he's now giving you access to the Father. He's giving you divine access. You can talk to him. 
You can talk to them in the bathroom. You can talk to them while you're driving down the road. You can talk to them in your darkest moment and your greatest victory. You can talk to him. Your relationship with him. He's your father. He's your father. He loves you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to take care of you. He cares about you today. You have divine access. It's October 16, 1963. President John F. Kennedy was the president of the United States. And America, America was on the brink of World War III. This man right here, his name is, is Grumkoy. Grumko, he was the, the Russian foreign minister, a prime minister that had come to the United States to negotiate. Because on October 13, the Russians had sent submarines loaded with nuclear weapons to Cuba, Havana to be exact. And on their way to Havana, things begin to shake up. And, and Kennedy, Kennedy could not allow this to happen. You can read the history for yourself, but, but I will tell you what happened. I will tell you that John F. Kennedy was in the greatest turmoil of his life. I know he was a praying man, but history tells us during this period he really prayed. He didn't know what to do. This nation was at the brink of another horrific, horrific war. Russia and the United States, the two most powerful nations in the world, on the brink, as close as we've ever been to, war, to the greatest war the world had ever seen. At that time, John F. Kennedy had two children, Caroline and John F. Kennedy Jr., and that, and one moment, in the middle, in the middle, you, you can look at these pictures, you can go back and Google, in the middle of this, this meeting, this intense meeting with all these, these leaders from Russia and the United States and, and, and Kennedy's cabinet members in the middle, little Johnny pops in. Little Johnny, he just not, he didn't even knock on the door. He just walked right into the Oval Office. He walked right into his daddy's office because that wasn't the president of the United States of, the, uh, uh, of America, the most powerful man in the world, in negotiations with the ambassador for, from Russia. No, that was my daddy. They've got this on audio recording. You can hear it for yourself. He walks right in and starts to talk to his dad. You know what his dad did? Now, you know, I don't know if I would do this. I mean, this guy's a good dad. He said, Johnny, how are you? Have you met Mr. Groimko? Have you met him? Mr. Groimko, this is my son, Johnny. Right behind Johnny came Carolyn, Caroline, walking right in to their father's room. You see, the fact is today, you have the most powerful, most awesome, most unbelievable God and Savior who is for you. And the Bible says that you have divine access to him. <laughs> who is like our God? There is no one like our God. You have access because of what Christ did. When you are justified, you now have divine access into his presence. And because we've been justified, his love has been poured out on us. His love has been poured out on us. And here's the seal of that love. Here's the seal of that love. That he poured out his Holy Spirit. See, Jesus promised. He said, listen, I'm going to go away. I fulfilled my mission as God-man. I'm going to die on the cross, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then after that, I'm going to ascend to heaven. But I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave you my spirit. In John chapter 20, the Bible says that Jesus gathered the disciples around him. And the Bible says that he breathed upon him. He breathed upon them. The resurrected Jesus breathed upon them, and they received the Holy Spirit. You see, the moment of justification, the moment that Christ fulfills the purpose, the, the moment that Christ's blood on Calvary's tree fulfilled the purpose for which it was shed, 
at that moment, you acknowledge it, you recognize it, you admit it, you confess it, you believe it. At that moment, God's spirit comes in you. Romans chapter 7 says it like this. If the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, he will transform your mortal, emotional, physical being. See, Christ, the hope of glory, poured out through his love, now lives in us by his Holy Spirit. You're not conquered today. You're conquered today because his Holy Spirit is in you. You're not a victim today. You're a victor today because his Holy Spirit lives in you.